0: Welcome to Modern Dogma, a Christian considering today's ideas. Once upon a time, there was a podcast called Modern Dogma. In the last episode of that podcast, entitled Our Relation to Government Part 1, we were discussing how God, in Romans 13, defines government officials as his servants, that he gives authority to uphold the public good and punish evildoers, and, in turn, we Christians are called to submit to them. Recall that submission does not mean blind, undiscerning, devoted obedience. In fact, I argue, along with theologians like Wayne Grudem, that submission is not obedience per se, but rather a reverential, loving, acknowledgement of authority that 99% of the time is reflected by obedience, but not exactly the same. So, there is such a thing as submissively, that is, honorably and respectfully disobeying a sinful government law. Let's say a law in North Korea that you cannot be a Christian or attend a Christian church. But in principle, government leaders are not to be regarded as the Christian's enemies. There will always be individual national governments or individual government employees that are antagonistic toward Christians in the church. But as a concept, The church is not supposed to regard the state as automatically, systemically evil. In fact, we are supposed to be grateful to God because the concept of the state was invented by God for the common good. Now, the Bible's teaching on government, I believe, is one of the underrated important ideas undergirding the issue of conspiratorialism. In other words, there are a lot of different sin issues and heart attitudes that drive conspiratorialism, but I think the Holy Spirit's teaching about the Christian's relation to government is an important factor that causes a conspiratorial heart attitude that isn't being discussed enough. Now, conspiratorialism. I'm not even sure if it's a well-defined term. I'm probably somewhat inventing definitions here today, but When I say conspiratorialism, I am trying to distinguish it from merely believing some individual conspiracy, which is a neutral idea. A conspiracy is nothing more than a secret plot. It can be true, or it can be nothing more than a rumor. Believing some individual conspiracy can actually be a very good thing if it's based on good evidence, or it can be the spreading of malicious gossip. But in and of itself, it's neutral. So the plot to secretly install a sniper and assassinate JFK was a genuine conspiracy. If you heard of this conspiracy ahead of time, it would have been good for you to believe it and warn somebody. However, the notion that JFK's assassination was an elaborate hoax and JFK has actually been in hiding with a fake identity for decades now, waiting to reappear as the last true president of the United States is I'll just say a very low probability event, not exactly based on evidence. And a synonym for something that not only lacks evidence, but is contradicted by good and plentiful evidence is a lie. And Christians should not lie because God is not a liar. We also see examples of genuine conspiracies in Scripture. In Acts chapter 23, we find the Apostle Paul in prison in Jerusalem for preaching the gospel, And his nephew finds out there is a plot by Paul's Jewish opponents to murder Paul while he is being transported for trial. This was a genuine conspiracy. If Paul's nephew had told you about this plot, you would have been a fool to dismiss it outright and not perform a close investigation just because it happens to be an alleged secret plot that isn't well known to the general public. If he just automatically with knee-jerk reaction stated, Ah, you stupid conspiracy theorists. I didn't read about this plot to kill Paul in the news. The emperor didn't issue any information about such a thing. You're so gullible. Stop making stuff up. You would be a fool to automatically dismiss something just because it's not publicly accepted knowledge. A conspiracy, a secret plan, by its nature, is a neutral thing. It shouldn't necessarily be rejected outright, and it shouldn't be accepted outright. It's just neutral. If it's relevant to you and your interests, a conspiracy theory may warrant further investigation to determine if it's true or false. Sometimes it's true, sometimes it's false. I say all this because in our culture today, politicians and thought leaders love to ascribe this C-word, conspiracy, to some true ideas they want to disparage. And if the news outlets and media play along, suddenly just because some idea is called conspiracy, people just outright dismiss it without any discernment or investigation. Nobody wants to be labeled a conspiracy theorist. You immediately conjure up a picture of some disheveled cat lady or Alex Jones or something. It's basically the death knell of your social acceptability to be labeled a conspiracy theorist. But again, Just because something is secret or not yet widely known and accepted does not make it automatically incredible. A conspiracy, a secret plot, intends to stay secret. It's not sound thinking to just say, well, I never heard of that. That can't be true. That's kind of the point. But it may be true information nonetheless. Well, Thank God, returning to Acts chapter 23, the Roman Tribune overseeing Paul's imprisonment, Claudius Lysias, did not have such a knee-jerk bias against conspiracies. And so, when Paul's nephew informed him of this plot to assassinate Paul, the Tribune provided Paul police escort so he wouldn't be harmed. It was pretty important in that moment in Paul's life and church history that people were open-minded to conspiracies, wasn't it? So when I talk about conspiratorialism today, I'm not talking about individual so-called conspiracies, whether or not the label is appropriate, that each either stand or fall based on their merit and evidence. What I define as conspiratorialism is not a matter of discerning individual accusations or rumors, but rather an encompassing, consuming worldview and heart attitude. The conspiratorialist is a person that adopts a view that some important aspect of reality itself is not as it seems. The whole world itself, to some degree or another, is a mirage. Some aspect of our day-to-day living is a lie fabricated by some kind of power or force. Conspiratorialism has the tendency to consume the person's thinking. And that's by nature because it's a worldview. It also takes priority. Everything the person perceives first must filter through the lens of the conspiratorial worldview. In many ways, the conspiratorial mindset has the same features of a religious cult. We discussed in episode 15, our Bitcoin episode, how the Bitcoin maximalist adopts a worldview regarding their precious Bitcoin, That is irrefutable. That is to say they start with the unproven assumption that there cannot exist an argument against Bitcoin as a store of value. It's literally impossible to the Bitcoin maxi for Bitcoin to ever have any flaws. In the same sense, replace Bitcoin with any other pet theory or reality framework and you broaden the phenomenon of Bitcoin maximalism to what I am calling conspiratorialism in general. The conspiratorialist adopts a worldview, a religion, that is irrefutable. There can never be a piece of evidence strong enough or sound enough to refute their reality-defining conspiracy. So I'm going to try to pick on the full spectrum of American politics today. Let's talk about the QAnon conspiracy The QAnon folklore, which is really pretty much dead now, as far as I can tell. So I'm late to the party here. Story of my podcast. But during President Trump's presidency, there was this conspiratorial worldview that stated there was some anonymous, high-ranking insider in President Trump's administration, codenamed Q, that stated President Trump was playing 4D chess with his opponents in order to build an airtight case against an axis of pedophile, baby-eating Democrats. I'm not making this up, by the way. And one day, President Trump will slam down the hammer of justice and put the entire cabal into prison with one fell swoop, saving America from the blight of progressivism and ushering in a new golden age. During the 2020 presidential elections, a Q conspiracy theorist stated that President Trump installed on every ballot a digital fingerprint such that even though President Biden ended up winning the election in the ensuing weeks, Q and his team or her team would reveal all these ballots that voted for President Biden were fabricated And everyone complicit in the election fraud would be thrown into prison and the true President Trump will be reinstalled. Needless to say, Q, whether it's an individual or a group of individuals playing along, has a terrible track record. Practically none of their predictions came to fruition. And in the Bible, we call that a false prophet. But in the heydays of the QAnon movement, to the non conspirator, their cultic worldview could not be disproven. If you try to bring evidence that shows President Trump wasn't playing 4D chess, he was just kind of fumbling along at points in matters of foreign relations or his impulsive tweets, the rebuttal would be something along the lines of, that's exactly what a bunch of baby-eating pedophile Democrats would say. Solid evidence refuting Q would automatically be regarded as part of the conspiracy. Now, almost everyone finds the QAnon conspiracy ridiculous. The media and the culture at large all found it laughably absurd. And rightfully so, it was laughable. The premise is just so obviously mythological. There isn't a shred of evidence of this cabal of cannibal, pedophile Democrats. As much as we ought to strongly rebuke Democrat leaders for their unholy promotion of actual evils, such as abortion, the premise of QAnon was utterly exaggerated and irrational. But here's the thing. For those people, typically on the political left, sitting there and pointing and laughing at QAnon adherents, braying about how stupid they are, they need to recognize they actively promote a conspiratorial fairy tale as contemptible and nonsensical as QAnon. And it's called Critical Race Theory. And far from an idea like QAnon that exists largely as a subculture in the underbelly of the internet, critical race theory is a hilariously nonsensical conspiracy theory that nonetheless gets promoted by LeBron James, the current president of the United States, and most tragically by so-called Christian seminaries and pastors. The short version of the heart of critical race theory is the idea that the American reality is not really as it appears. Just like in QAnon, where the political reality and everything President Trump's administration was doing was really a facade that hid a true world underneath, where there was this epic struggle between light and the darkness of the baby-eating Democrats, according to critical race theory, Society is not as it appears. Every conversation you have with someone, every interaction, especially with a white male or a predominantly white institution, never mind the fact that you're not actually able to objectively define for me what white is, so listen to our Who Are We episodes if you want to know what the Bible says about race and ethnicity, but all these seemingly innocuous social dynamics is really a facade that hides a power structure underneath that is either consciously or unconsciously designed to put down and oppress racial minorities. Comments that may seem innocuous, laws that may seem neutral and harmless, are actually hiding unconscious racism everywhere. A cabal of racist, plotting white people and white allies pushing the ideology of whiteness into every aspect of America. The color white is associated with cleanness and goodness, and the color black is associated with evil because the secret white cabal has brainwashed everyone into hating so-called black people. Again, whatever a black person is supposed to be, there's no such thing. Never mind, the Bible itself uses such imagery as light and darkness, and it has nothing to do with the shades of pink and brown, various people have. Much more accurate descriptions of skin color, by the way. A person with pale skin liking hip hop music and wearing baggy jeans is committing cultural appropriation of black culture. He is adopting a colonist mindset, invading the black world to steal and pillage. This is all part of the secret white agenda that we must dismantle. The way we teach math itself is racist. You probably think I'm exaggerating here to be funny, but Google the words, a pathway to equitable math instruction. This is a middle school math teacher's training workbook And at the bottom of the website, which is EquitableMath.org, it states, quote, We also wish to thank the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for their generous financial support of this project, end quote. This isn't some obscure niche pamphlet printed out by a bunch of teenage Marxists in a basement. Apparently, according to a June 21st, 2021 article written by Linda Jacobson for The 74, This is a curriculum that was given $1 million funding and was being used just this past year in Georgia, Ohio, and California school districts. I'm just going to rattle off some direct primary source quotes from Stride 1 of their multi-part workbook. On page 4, quote, the framework for deconstructing racism in mathematics offers essential characteristics of anti-racist math educators and critical approaches to dismantling white supremacy in math classrooms by making visible the toxic characteristics of white supremacy culture with respect to math, end quote. What exactly is racist in teaching math? How can presenting 1 plus 1, the quadratic formula... an aspect of white supremacy? Well, let's get some insight on page five, which tells us characteristics of white supremacy, which include, quote, either or thinking, only one right way, objectivity, end quote. Objectively correct math is apparently white supremacy, guys. Something being right or wrong is a racist way of thinking. In fact, a math student making a mistake shouldn't just be corrected. Rather, on page 10, quote, recognize mistakes as miscommunicated knowledge, end quote. Heaven forbid, wrong knowledge. It's just miscommunicated. You know that bridge that collapsed because you didn't calculate the load correctly? That bridge wasn't a mistake. It was just miscommunicated knowledge. Oh, your kids that suffocated under the rubble, they're not actually dead. Their breathing is just being miscommunicated. Because the facts are, according to a pathway to equitable math instruction, we need to rid ourselves of what we think is a good or bad math student. So Timmy made 1 plus 1 equals 3 and killed a bunch of kids. Does that make him bad at math? Well, on page 13, quote, White supremacy culture shows up in math classrooms when preconceived expectations are steeped in the dominant culture. If students don't show the characteristics of what I think is a good student, then that student is bad. This thinking creates meritocracy in the classroom. Students have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, and if they fail, it is their fault. It does not give room for systemic reasons students fail, which often lie in problematic expectations." You have to understand, yes, Timmy messed up the bridge construction. Yeah, he got some math wrong, but you need to liberate your mind from the conspiracy of white thinking and see reality for what it truly is. You see, Timmy had a hard childhood with disadvantages. And the system got him down. The system, man. It's whiteness. It's not Timmy's fault. Now, to be fair, the authors state they recognize that most math questions have a right or wrong answer. But that sounds an awful lot like the white supremacy of objectivity, only one right way, either or thinking mentality. I don't know where they think they get to be the authority and decide when to enforce objectivity and when now to. Sounds pretty white to me. You see, the conspiracy theory of critical race theory states reality isn't what it seems. We are living in the matrix. We are living in whiteness. And you need to wake up, sheeple. Every little innocuous dynamic in life. Oh, you think this is just a math classroom? You think we're just doing a word problem? Wrong. White supremacy. In fact, page 76, quote, Classrooms are often microcosms of the world around us and reinforce dominant or white ways of being. For example, small groups of students receive the teacher's attention throughout instruction, and a few students are typically called on to participate in class discussions, reinforcing notions of perfectionism, end quote. Calling on Mary too many times to answer the question and forgetting Billy, unconscious racism. Quote, another common participation structure is pairing students as helper and helpee. This reinforces paternalism and other power structures that identify students as either being good or bad at math, also either or thinking, end quote. So getting Joey to help Johnny with math, paternalism, whiteness. Oh, you're saying Joey is Johnny's daddy now? Joey is Johnny's master? You think Johnny needs help with math just because he can't do multiplication? Helping people? Classic white supremacy. Quote, also requiring students to raise their hand before speaking can reinforce paternalism and power hoarding in addition to breaking the process of thinking, learning, and communicating. End quote. Why do the kids have to raise their hands? Oh, you you think I need to raise my hand to provide my commentary in class? I have to do what you tell me to do at your beck and call? You mean you don't want your classroom descending into a Lord of the Fly situation where we're all just screaming at the top of our lungs and jumping off the walls? Oh, you want an orderly classroom so we can learn math? Again, paternalism, racism, white supremacy. Reality is never as it is perceived in conspiratorial thinking. It is a religion. It is a comprehensive worldview. And as a result, The conspiracy theorist is pitched into a spiral of self-doubt and confusion. Nothing is ever as it seems. Was that an innocuous statement I made to my friend with dark skin or was that racism? I don't know. There is no grounding, no mooring, no anchor to reality. Is this a real news report or is it a psyop by the enemies of Q? Am I being a good ally to my oppressed racial minority friend? Or is this microaggression? What's real? What's true? What's false? What's racist? Who knows? Reality unravels. Once again, for those people that make fun of QAnon, perhaps sadly, even fellow Christians that consider these so called far right extremists too ridiculous too sinful to be saved, or shown grace and compassion. Do you harbor that same kind of condescending attitude toward critical race theorists that permeate our culture? Because there is societal peer pressure to consider one of these conspiracy theories more respectable than the other. You see, one of these conspiracy theories result in PhDs and best-selling books and speaking fees at seminars and universities. Yet, they are both equally preposterous and both have Utterly reality-distorting effects on people's minds. People are being disconnected from the real world and seeing ghosts and boogeymen everywhere. They can't just function like a normal God-made human being because they are allowing these conspiratorial frameworks to rule the way they live. They can't have normal friendships with people. They can't walk to the grocery store without seeing Q or white supremacy. Their minds are being poisoned by hatred and resentment and fear, and they need Christians to lead them back to God given reality and to the truth. And what is God's antidote for the conspiratorialist? In other words, what does the Bible teach against conspiracy theories that are entire worldviews? Well, There have already been plenty of good resources in the church that touch on a lot of the important sin issues that need to be illuminated and repented of. Sins like disbelief in God's sovereign control, sins like hatred of our fellow men, a covetous, jealous heart, an unwillingness to confess our own faults, and blame shifting, a heart filled with the fear of the unknown or fear of things we can't control. I'm not minimizing any of these important diagnoses. However, I would offer an additional factor that I don't think gets enough attention, and that is the fact that the conspiratorial heart also has a wrong view of government. This is what I mean. Recall that we concluded last episode that God instituted government with the authority to promote the public good. I would submit a particularly relevant implication of that principle for our topic at hand is that part of the government's mandate to promote the public good is the government acts as the arbiter, or judge, the determiner, of public truth. Let me state that again for emphasis. I believe an implication of Romans chapter 13 verses 1 to 3 means the government is the arbiter of public truth. In a sense, every function the government performs is built on the idea that the government is arbitrating truth from falsehood on behalf of the public. For example, something as seemingly mundane as building a state road requires discerning issues of truth such as, is this road really needed right here, right now? Is this the right kind of road? Who will do the work to build this road? Who are we contracting this out to? Is this road being built to the right standards of safety? The free market purist, I consider myself an advocate of a free market, by the way, but for biblical reasons. But someone in the anarcho-capitalist libertarian camp at this point would rebut, the government shouldn't be in the business of building roads at all. This should all be privatized. And yet, even for the purest of the pure libertarians, the truth is their political ideology, if you up-level enough, requires there be some kind of state-like entity at the top determining public truth. That is true. They are crying foul at the language I'm using right now. I'm being accused of strawmanning their political philosophy, but it's true. Even libertarians, according to their fantastic, utterly impractical view of the state, require something that is effectively a government at the top upholding the public truths of private property rights and the rule of law. That is just the way God designed the universe. That's how he designed nationhood. And at the end of the day, as a Christian, I don't really care what any kind of political philosophy says about anything if it contradicts the word of God. God made government. Government is a valid concept. And government exists for the public good, which I argue includes upholding and discerning public facts from fiction. So the application hopefully is starting to become clear. You guys are probably seeing where I'm going with this when it comes to the issue of conspiratorial thinking. I would submit that because God made government and gave government general authority to determine what is publicly held to be true or false, I believe the Christian, by default, ought to make the willful decision to trust what God's servants, government officials, the state, says to be true. And I would have us consider the fact that the vast majority of the time, we do this without thinking. Maybe something like 98% of the time, maybe even higher, at least as Americans, we go about our day mindlessly trusting the government leaders without any controversy. When you drink water from the park water fountain, Whether or not you recognize you're doing it, you're putting faith in the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, that they gave proper oversight to our drinking water infrastructure, and you're not drinking lead. When you drove your car over a bridge this morning to get to work, you trusted government to directly or indirectly ensure the bridge was built correctly. Again, libertarians and various political anarchists will chirp up here and say, I think that bridge could have been built better without government interference. Look, I don't totally disagree. If you're making the argument our government is way too big and inefficient, I'm the first guy to agree with you. I'm a government contractor. Trust me. I know all about wasting taxpayer money. But I, again, rebut that even in your political worldview, you require something that is effectively like the state at the top enforcing a common understanding of truth from fiction. Something Someone at the top needs to set the rules for basic reality and basic morality that everyone needs to follow. You don't actually want anarchy. You really don't. You really don't want every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. That's the funny part to me. A lot of professing Christians that hold to libertarianism are unwittingly quoting in their political philosophy Judges 17 verse 6. No king, no state, Every man doing what is right in their own eyes. And they think that will be paradise. Read the rest of Judges. Read the climax of Judges, the last several chapters. That is the logical conclusion of libertarianism. Utter chaos and unfettered human depravity. So we inherently just trust government in our day-to-day living. The government has their tentacles in everything that upholds our secular daily existence. The sidewalk you walk on, the soda from the vending machine, the roof over your head not collapsing on you spontaneously. You just trust the fabric of society will hold together, and that is mediated by God through his invention of national governments and government authorities. So all I am saying we Christians ought to do by default is make a willful decision to apply that same kind of trust to every other aspect of public truth. Conspiratorial Christians are inconsistent in their doctrine of civil government, in other words. They'll often have no issues driving their car over a bridge or eating food bought at the local grocery store, but when it comes to certain pet conspiracy theories, reality is suddenly not what it seems. Suddenly, in this one special aspect, everything is a mirage being built by bad actors, some shadowy cabal. Critical theorists will say, the whole world is run by the oppressor class, the bourgeoisie, the capitalists, or white people for the critical race theorist. tear it all down, tear down the whole system. Oh wait, but not my indoor plumbing, not that system. I meant just this tiny niche part of the government that is part of my conspiratorial worldview. Now, the inevitable pushback I anticipate at this point would be, but Mr. Modern Doggy, you're really so naive to think the government filled with blasphemers and non-believers don't lie? Haven't you heard of MKUltra? Don't you know the U.S. intelligence agencies are constantly doing psyops? Don't you know we do shady stuff and cover up the truth and mislead the public? Open your eyes, sheeple. And to that, I simply respond, of course they do. Of course, I do not expect the state to act like the church. Of course, I am lied to occasionally. Now, two things. Number one, returning to a previous point, the conspiratorialists, and I would dare say most people these days in general, almost across the entire political spectrum, everyone is complaining about government. And I would say almost everyone in today's political climate grossly exaggerates how much the government messes stuff up. And again, they conveniently ignore the vast majority of the time God's servants, government leaders, make our daily lives possible. If we take careful stock of how many regulations we interact with on a day-to-day basis, the traffic lights that were operating correctly on your drive home this evening, the color of the crosswalks, the composition of the asphalt you were driving over, the structural integrity of the building you're in right now, the electrical reliability of the power grid that is powering whatever your device you're listening to right now, appliances in your kitchen not spontaneously blowing up, we greatly exaggerate in our public discourse how incompetent our governments are. But secondly, yes, of course I expect governments to get stuff wrong. Of course I expect them to lie to my face on occasion. And that's on them. Remember, what does Romans 13 tell us? Government officials are established by God. They report to God, in other words. They do not report to us. This is an incredibly liberating truth. When I realized the implications of what Romans 13 teaches, I have to tell you, it was incredibly freeing for my psyche. You see, I'm someone that also likes to stay abreast on the news and politics and what is happening in the world. I like to know what's going on. But if you're anything like me, keeping up with the news and politics can also be an incredibly infuriating, saddening, emotionally draining experience. I mean, it's never good news. There's always stuff going wrong in the world. There are always new injustices and tragedies, and to make matters worse, we should be cognizant of the fact that our news organizations are incentivized to get us clicking on stuff that make us angry. So that just accentuates the reality that our world is not the way it ought to be. All creation groans awaiting its savior as Romans chapter 8, verse 22 depicts. Well, I have some very good news for you. We are not responsible for the occasional misbehavior of the government. We are not Congress's supervisor. That is very contradictory to the American attitude of we the people, isn't it? Particular to America and our republic, representative, democracy type of governance, we're led to believe that somehow we are the government. I'm sorry, we're not. I understand what the Constitution says, I understand what the Declaration of Independence says, but I also know what Scripture says. And it's not like God wrote Romans 13 and then 2,000 years later went, oh, shoot, I forgot they were going to create a representative democracy. I forgot about that. Oops. No. Here's my controversial take on America. You ready? We are not as experimental or innovative of a country as we often like to believe. God is not as impressed with the so-called great American experiment or the idea of American exceptionalism as we like to think. America, like every other nation before us and every other nation after us, according to Romans chapter 13, has a ruling class and has a submissive citizen class. We like to believe and say it's we the people, The January 6th rioters, and yes, they were rioters, conservatives, and no, liberals and BLM activists, the January 6th Capitol riots were not nearly as severe in damage as the left-wing riots the months before, but they were both disorderly riots. But in spite of what the January 6th rioters thought of themselves, that they were occupying so-called their building, no, America is not actually we the people. Go ahead. Go on and tell the IRS how you won't pay income taxes this April because this is your country and the IRS and Congress work for you and you're firing them for their incompetence with how they're handling your money. Go ahead and see what happens. Go see how far we the people will take you. You see, Scripture always speaks of nations and governments with the assumption that there is a distinct class of rulers that have divinely imbued authority to rule over a distinct class of citizens. And that is actually very good news because we do not have to watch political happenings and get so angry because the misbehavior, the sin of our politicians is on them and God will deal with them. We don't have to. That's not our problem. We play a politics game every once in a while. Go back and listen to Politics 4, Episode 8. Every once in a while, we play this full-contact competitive team sport called politics, and you play it out in the voting booth. But chances are, if you aren't a government official, you are not actually running our country. You do not actually have that responsibility. So the application here is we Christians ought to make the willful decision to trust God's servants government leaders by default let them do their job it's not your job it's theirs now why do i say willful decision because i'm not advocating for naivete naivete is not a virtue jesus was clear we had to be innocent as doves but also wise as serpents being completely uninformed and hence leaving your mind vulnerable to utter manipulation by government leaders is not something to be commended Being submitted to government leaders is not equivalent to ignorance. And similarly, I'm not advocating for blind, authoritarian, fascistic devotion to the state. Far from it. I'm saying we as Christians, with a dual citizenship to both heaven and whatever country is depicted on your passport, we should approach the government fully aware, fully expecting they will get stuff wrong. I'm not talking about sin, by the way. Sinful laws must be disobeyed, plain and simple. But I'm talking about stuff that is just factually incorrect. Wrong predictions, bad data, knowing the government will get stuff incorrect and yet still making the conscious decision to submit which means respecting their authority with the knowledge that if eternity reveals that they gave bad guidance on something, that will be on them. Let God deal with His servants. There is a connection between Romans chapter 13 and the following chapter, Romans chapter 14, that I think a lot of people miss. You see, Romans 13 verses 1 to 7 says, "...we submit to government leaders because they were appointed by God and His servants for our benefit." But then Romans 14, verses 1 to 12, goes on to teach about how we ought not to judge fellow servants of God. Verse 4 states it this way, quote, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand, end quote. Now, I don't want you to think I'm mishandling Romans 14 here. Romans 14, its proper interpretation, its actual meaning, refers to fellow individual Christians. I fully acknowledge that. Romans 14 is not referencing government authorities. However, we can extend the principle of Romans 14, which is to not overstep our bounds and start acting like we have the right or even ability to correctly judge and authoritatively condemn fellow servants of God and apply it to the idea that we should not be going around judging the civil servants of God. Remember, that atheistic church-harassing Democrat city official still holds the office of God's servant. In that sense, they share a common label that you do as a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. And as a result, just let them do their job. If they do it incompetently, so what? What do you have to do with that? Let the master deal with his servants. They don't report to you. They don't work for you. You're both just working in the master's kitchen. He'll know who's messing things up. You just do you. Make a willful, informed decision that, yes, I know the government is full of sinners that hate Jesus, and I fully expect them to get things wrong once in a while, sometimes disastrously so, but I'm going to decide to default to trusting them anyway because that is what God tells me to do. That is their jurisdiction, and before their own master, they will stand or fall. Now, notice I've been constantly saying default to trusting the government. Again, I'm not advocating for fascism. I'm not advocating for a dictatorship. By all means, guys, use your brain. If you have good, verifiable evidence or let's say you happen to be an expert in the relevant issue that the government is ruling on, and you know that the government is making a poor judgment, they are poorly arbitrating public truth, then by all means, use the gracious opportunities God gave you to offer correction to God's servants, but in a Christlike manner. Don't burn down buildings. Don't refuse to pay taxes. That's sin. Don't use foul language and rant on your social media. Publish a paper in an academic journal shedding light on the topic. Write to your congressman. Be submissive, in other words, even in disagreements as Romans 13 exhorts. But here's the thing. Upholding this application to default to willfully trusting our government on decisions that are not a matter of sin, just a matter of fact, which is the government's authoritative role to arbitrate, this application requires a lot of humility. And this is something all of us, myself included, in our flesh, naturally struggle with. I'm saying a lot of this stuff to myself, by the way. Because the truth is, when the government rules on something that's a matter of public truth, public facts that the government has decreed are true, that they are then imposing on everyone in the form of laws and regulations, we have to make the conscious decision to die to our own preferences, feelings, or hunches. A preference, a feeling, a hunch, are not sufficient grounds for disobedience to government. And to be honest, if we are not an expert in the controversial issue at hand, we need to have the humility to conclude, I'm not actually qualified to know what is true in this matter authoritatively. I can't actually know with high confidence what is factual because this is outside my expertise. So I'm going to default I'm going to go to my default position and trust the government's word on this. And you know what? If it turns out when I get to heaven, they got this wrong, or worse, they were lying to me, that's on them. I'm doing my job as a Christian citizen to submit. If they steer me wrong due to my ignorance in the matter, I will trust that their master, the Lord, will deal with them, either in this life or the next. So obviously the social issue I'm hinting at that everyone is debating currently are the COVID vaccines and the COVID mandates. Now, my personal suspicion here is this new Omicron variant is really the end of the pandemic. So again, as per usual, I'm a little behind the curve of relevance on this topic, just because of how long it takes me to make new episodes. Uh, Thankfully so, by the way, I just made it sound like I want the COVID pandemic to continue. That is not true. That's not what I meant. But Hopefully the principles here you guys will find useful for the inevitable next political controversy. But look, ever since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, almost two years ago now, whenever I talk with friends or family about the coronavirus, I've been repeating the same thing to them. I don't know. I don't know. I get sent very, shall we say, titillating articles, provocative social media posts that's allegedly written by doctor so-and-so saying the vaccine is going to kill everyone, or the vaccine is perfectly safe, or the virus is this, or the virus is that. You can just use natural immunity. You can't use natural immunity. This will happen. This won't happen. Look, I was personally among the vaccine hesitant for a long time. And to be frank, to this day, even after taking the vaccine, I'm still a little sketched out about what exactly I injected into myself. But that's largely because I don't know. I don't like getting the first version of anything. I don't like to get the first iPhone, for goodness sake. But where I eventually came to is the recognition that I am not qualified to have any kind of opinion in this arena. I'm not in the medical profession. And even if I were, our world is so specialized today. Technology is so advanced. If you're not specialized specifically when it comes to making vaccines, you're not really qualified either. I have an aerospace engineering degree i'd be a fool to tell you i knew how to make an airplane okay it takes a whole development team to design an airplane filled with individual experts with years of experience knowing how to design different components so if i was a guy in charge of designing the fuselage i wouldn't know how to make the engine not a good one at least i wouldn't know how to program the control system again I'm not a doctor, but other brothers I know that are tell me it's about the same thing in the medical world and vaccines. You may be doctor PhD so-and-so of Harvard, Yale, Stanford Medical School, and you were the first one to invent using uh, monkey cartilage to repair people's knees, but I'm told if you're not actually in the virology field, you actually don't really have a qualified opinion in the matter of COVID. And that, again, as a Christian, takes some humility to admit So a rebuttal I often hear is folks saying, don't be such a sheep, wake up sheeple, do your own research. You know what my response is? No, I will not do my own research. I refuse. You know why? Why? Because the amount of time and energy it would require to do sufficient research for me to have an actually informed opinion on the COVID virus and the COVID vaccines would cause me to disobey the Great Commission. Bold statement. But you see, God only gave us a limited amount of time and energy. I emphasize the latter because it's never really about time. If you're anything like me, I'm finding that I technically always have enough time in the day to squeeze in one extra thing. The real problem is I have a limited amount of energy that allows me to stay motivated and mentally concentrate. We have a small basket of things that we are able to really devote ourselves to doing well. It's a large part of the reason that in this particular time in my life, my podcast episodes are coming out so slowly. More important matters have been taking higher priority for the past several months, as much as I love doing this. For the believer, the most important things in your life are your relationship with God, your relationship with your family, your church life, making disciples of all nations. That is a full basket of responsibilities. Everything else is just supplementary. Everything else, even stuff like what you do for a living is not the end in itself, but the means to serving those more important things. You need a job because it gives you money you can use to glorify God by supporting your church pastors and other ministries. You need a job because you are called to care for your wife and kids. And guess what? The same goes for our health and our liberties as citizens of a nation, your health, your life itself, and whatever constitutional or legal freedoms you are blessed with are not ends in themselves. They are provided graciously by God, to whatever degree you have them depending on the nation, for the purpose of glorifying God through loving your family, your church, and the world through evangelism and discipleship. That means we have to very carefully guard what we allocate our time and energy into doing. Another common characteristic of conspiratorial thinking is they are enormous time sinks. It's not a coincidence that conspiratorial people tend to be people without enough productive things to do. You know, it's a little embarrassing to admit, but I had a season in my life where I fell into conspiratorial thinking myself. You know when? It was when I was unemployed. It tends to be retired people, people that used to be stay-at-home moms, but now the kids are out of the nest, people with boring jobs. Worldview conspiracy theories take an enormous amount of reading and YouTube video watching and thinking to really get into, and they are generally so interesting. They have the same temptations as Gnosticism. It feels like you're getting access to this secret knowledge no one else has. You just get pulled in deeper and deeper. You start researching UFOs and aliens. I hope to do an episode in the future on this topic, but you get a taste for conspiratorialism and you start thinking, oh my goodness, the world is totally different than it appears. This seeming fact the government is telling us is a total lie. There is this secret truth, this hidden world that only I have access to among my friend group. And that's it. That's the hook. You're pulled in. And hours and hours of your life will go by where you are just totally useless to God's kingdom. You'll become an expert in critical theory. You'll become an expert in Q-drops. You may actually learn enough to become a truly uncredentialed expert in immunology and virology. I'm not denying that's not possible. I'm just saying at the end of it, you would have committed an enormous waste of your energy and time. You've created this lovely, huge pile of wood, hay, and stubble to maybe protect your health from an unhealthy vaccine, maybe live your life a little longer, maybe sway the President of the United States just a little toward more individual freedom, and it will all just be burned up when Jesus returns. I will not do my own research because actual solid medical research is an enormous undertaking best committed by Christians that are already positioned to do so. Brothers and sisters that are already immunologists or virologists or in the vaccine industry. I'll let them do it. In the meantime, yeah, Maybe getting the COVID vaccines was the factually wrong choice, but I am provided an enormous blessing by God of being able to default to trusting my fellow servants of God, government officials, the CDC, the FDA, so that I have the mental bandwidth to dedicate myself to more important spiritual matters. I don't have to be in charge of knowing what is or isn't safe to put into my body. That's not my job. That's the FDA's job. Yeah, they'll get stuff wrong. I expect it to happen. Oops, asbestos is actually bad for your health. Oops, don't actually put cocaine into Coca-Cola. They are fallible, sinful human beings like you and me. They're not God. They're not even Christians for the most part. Yeah, they'll do the wrong thing. They may even lie to me, but I don't have to keep them accountable. That's not my job. For the most part, They'll keep the world stable and functioning and orderly. Praise God for that. And they provide this nice, consistent platform of society upon which I am able to be the salt and light of the world. Do you see how liberating that is? Do you see how freeing it is to just make the decision to default to trusting the government unless you have sufficient expertise and or evidence otherwise? And do you see how burdensome and exhausting it is as a conspiracy theorist to think you need to go around doing the government's job, questioning everything, being the judge of all public truths and facts, fact-checking every minutiae, providing a true reflection of reality on behalf of all of society. That's unsustainable. Just enjoy what God gave you. He gave you government so you don't have to do that. You can just drink from the park water fountain. You can just drive over the bridge without anxiety. You don't have to immediately assume those housing codes are racist. You don't have to think the president is talking in code about some coming storm where cannibal Democrats are going to be put in jail. Let his words just be his words. Interpret them normally. You don't have to get whipped around by every contradictory medical article about what COVID is or isn't or what the vaccines are or aren't. You don't have to be anxious about knowing who to listen to, which doctor to read, if you're like me and you can't even begin to know. You don't even know what you don't know about virology. Just go with the government. They might be wrong. You might get cancer from the vaccines and die. You might go to heaven a little earlier than you intended, so what? That's not on you. Have a little humility. How could you know? Now, when government officials give you good, verifiable evidence they are lying or committing sin, by all means, call them out on it. Don't just continue obeying government for the sake of obeying government. That's not what the Word of God says. No verse about blanket obedience to government no matter what. My friend just sent me this funny article about how the Biden administration is now telling us they don't think COVID can be handled from a federal level. It needs to be handled by individual states. Pretty much identical to what the previous administration was stating. And yet, President Biden came out during the elections talking about how we needed a strong federal government hand to deal with the pandemic. That's hypocrisy. By all means, Call out the hypocrites when we have good documented evidence for it. If you're an immunologist, maybe you work at Pfizer at their vaccine making department or whatever, and you have the qualifications, you have the data that something is wrong with the vaccines, by all means warn people. You're the guy or gal to do it, not me. Go through the proper channels in a submissive and respectful manner, inform the FDA they're wrong. But until that happens, Christians, we don't have to stress out. Just default with trusting whatever God's appointed servants in the government are telling us to do. Not because we're these fascistic state lovers, because we know they've been provided to us, as a gracious blessing by the Lord to free us up to focus on the things that really matter. You know, you don't hear this a lot in today's politically divisive climate in the United States, but I, for one, thank God for our government leaders. I thank God there are servants of God in place that handle the day-to-day law and order, the public arbitration of what is or is not true, so that I don't have to. And I hope you'll join me in thanking God as well. It's been too long, but my friends, thanks again for joining me today in Modern Dogma Governments err, but God is sovereign.